Have you ever seen a MedFlight helicopter in the air? Or maybe seen one land in a really bad accident? Have you ever wondered what it takes to be a nurse on a MedFlight mission? Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. This episode is being recorded in a hangar at Mansfield Airport, just outside of Boston, where Boston MedFlight keeps their helicopter and their ambulance. In the spotlight, a critical care registered nurse, who's also a United States Air Force veteran who served in Afghanistan. She's also a wife, a mother of three, and she's a former karate champion black belt. Her name is Erica Horan, and this is her story. Erica, tell us about Boston MedFlight. What's the mission? MedFlight is really a special program. It's a not-for-profit. We service all of New England and then down south. We take care of really, really sick people. We also do medical care for geographically isolated people out in Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. So if there are sick people on the islands, we will go and pick them up and take them to Boston. But we do everything from young premature babies, real sick babies, or premature infants that need to get to a higher level of care. We will take them to Boston or wherever they need to be all the way up to patients that are 100 years old and everything in between. Protocol has changed with COVID patients. And you've told me, Erica, that you have very, very sick COVID patients. How do you care for them? First, we take the absolute ultimate precautions. We have Envo masks and we put hats on and glasses. And MedFlight's been really good about screening us and making sure that we have absolutely everything we need to protect ourselves and our patients. Proning is the position that allows for better expansion of the dorsal lung regions, um, improved body movement, and enhanced removal of secretions, which may ultimately lead to advances in oxygenation, which is breathing. So So you um, have to put them on their stomachs. Yes, we transport them on their stomachs. Erica, you graduated from St. Anselm with a degree in nursing. Mm -hmm. Did you always know you wanted to be a nurse? Were you one of those kids who was putting Band-Aids on baby dolls? Tell me your story. No, I actually went to school thinking I wanted to be an attorney. (laughs) So I went to St. Anselm College and I majored in political science. 9-11 happened and I was a freshman. And I thought, hey, I want to do something to help people. And attorneys help people, but they help people in a different way. I wanted to be on the medical side of things. So what I did the summer after my freshman year is I went to EMT school and I started as an EMT. In 2002, I had a lot of friends at St. Anselm College that were nursing majors. And they said, hey, Erica, you seem really unhappy in your major. Why don't you think about nursing? You're already an EMT. You love it. I said, you know, that's a really good idea. So halfway through my sophomore year, I made the decision to switch into nursing. I had to do four full years at St. A's of nursing. So I had to add an extra year onto my time there because that was just their thing. And And here we are. I graduated in 2006 with a bachelor's of science. I felt like I had a higher calling, but I wanted to kind of experience what it was like to be a civilian nurse first. So I talked to an Air Force recruiter and I was on the fence, but I was like, oh, I really want to deploy. I really want to see what it's like to help the people on the front lines, on the battlefield. I want to make a difference. So I kind of waxed and waned over it. I was just, just really wasn't sure. I, I was very much a homebody, loved my family, didn't want to move far away, but I really felt that calling, like that pull, the urge to get out of my bubble and to really 
just go for it. And you had mentioned also that 9-11 was really a formative day for you. It was. It changed my entire life. Talk to me a little bit about that. I remember watching the TV in my friend's dorm room when the towers were falling and all the lives that were lost and people that were jumping out of the windows and people covered in debris and dust from the wreckage and the fear in people's faces. And it was devastating because I didn't know what was going to happen next either. Is something else going to be bombed or is something is another plane going to fly into another building? And they did. Yes, they did. And it was it was a very scary time. That was the day that kind of changed my life's trajectory, I think. It's very interesting because there were so many Americans, both men and women, who enlisted the day after 9-11. Yeah. And it stayed with you all that time. It did. Talk to me about the day that you decided, I am enlisting in the U.S. Air Force. I didn't enlist. I actually commissioned as an officer. I think I did about six or seven months at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and I worked on a cardiac step down and I was talking to my recruiter and I said, the only way that you're going to get me to commission as an officer, you have to play the game a little bit, right? I said, is if you give me a critical care waiver because critical care is really what I wanted to do because that's how to get to the sickest patients. Even though I had really no experience, I was pretty much a new grad. I mean, I didn't know anything. Pretty gutsy. <laughs> it was, but that's kind of like how I've lived my life is you have to go for those chances. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just sit back and wait for something to fall out of the sky. If you really want something, you just have to go for it. It doesn't matter. Like, you could be scared out of your mind, which I was, but I was like, I just have to do this. So she got me the waiver. I remember my recruiter calling me saying, oh, we have an assignment for you in California. And I was like, I guess I'm going to California. I was very upset because it was so far away from home and I didn't know anybody. And lo and behold, I gave my notice and I and I went to officer training school in Montgomery, Alabama, and I went to California in 2007. You also were part of Operation Enduring Freedom. I was. And you went to Afghanistan. I did. Can you talk to us about your experience there? Life-changing. <sighs> were you terrified? At first. What the Air Force always taught us was that you put the mission first. Mission is always first. And that's kind of what I've carried over here to MedFlight. But with the Air Force, it's mission first. And you have to get the scared and the frightening thoughts out of your mind and be like, I'm here for a reason, for a purpose. God put me here for a reason. And it was to help those injured soldiers and coalition troops and enemy combatants because we treated a lot of those as well. What kind of injuries did you see there? How did it change you as a nurse? Everything, blast injuries from IEDs, MRAP rollovers, gunshot wounds to the head, traumatic amputations. We did massive transfusions multiple times on a daily basis. These young men and women would come back missing arms, missing legs, open abdomens, open chests, horrible head injuries. We saw a lot of injured children as well. A lot of the Afghan civilians, which we did care for. We did a lot of humanitarian work there. We did a lot of children there. They would pick up grenades and it would ex explode on their faces. We took care of women and men and Afghan national police officers. And we took care of the enemy combatants that would shoot and bomb our own guys. We did it all. And I saw some of the most horrific injuries I have ever and will ever see in my lifetime. Nothing will come close. <laughs> what happens when you, whether you're a nurse or a soldier in a situation like that, and you see it all, what goes through your mind? Or are you able to separate it? I've always wanted to ask that question. That's a very complex question. 
It's hard to answer that one. I can give you my own experience because I can't speak for other people because a lot of people experience their own ways of coping and dealing with things. As you know, veteran suicide is on the rise. And um, that's a very important thing that I want to point out in Afghanistan. I did a little bit of a blog that I didn't really share with too many people, but I kind of kept a record of everything that I saw and did in some of the names of the soldiers that I treated. When you're in Afghanistan and you're working every single day for hours and hours and hours, you don't have the time to decompress when you're there. It is 100 miles per hour, no holds barred. It's fight or flight, really. And at the end of your time there, you go home. And I remember sitting on my couch 24 hours after I got back and not knowing what to do with myself and just feeling like I was trapped, happy to be home. And I thought that being in Afghanistan, I'd want to, you know, I counted down the days until I was home. But when I was home, I wanted to go back. Did you feel like a fish out of water? I did. It was very hard to readjust to civilian life. My patience was short. I didn't have a lot of tolerance for a lot of things. And then, you know, I go back to work. I'm still in the military, still had a few years left. So that was good. I had people that were in the same situations that I was. And I was able to debrief with my colleagues and my coworkers. When I got out of the military, I worked as an army contractor and I worked down in Brook Army Medical Center. So still in the thick of things. Then I moved back to Massachusetts in 2017 and everything hit me like a ton of bricks. I had been removed from the situation for years. However, I felt like all of the trauma and experiences that I had experienced in Afghanistan. And then even at Brook Army Medical Center, because the guys, the injured guys, injured women would come home on CCAT missions and I'd still have to be taking care of them. I had a very hard time readjusting. You know, you had mentioned also the suicide rate and depression for United States veterans. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? I think that more needs to be done. I didn't receive the mental health care that I needed. I mean, we call it PTSD, but it's really more than that. It is. It affects your whole family. It affects everybody. It affects your husbands, your wives, your children, your your moms, your dads, your sisters, your brothers. I just think that mental health should be at the forefront for men and women coming home from overseas. And speaking of family, mm-hmm. our childhood sets us on our path for life. Mm-hmm. I see you smiling already. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, a little bit about your family. I grew up in Easton, Mass. I um, have a mom, a dad, a Peter Horan, Lee and the Rosie, and my sister Julie, who was also a nurse. She never served in the military, but she's a fantastic nurse. I went to Coyle Cassidy High School. I graduated in 2001 with a great class, great school, loved Coyle and Cassidy. Very sad to see that it's closed. And I had a wonderful mentor there. Her name is Kathy St. Laurent. She was my anatomy and physiology teacher. She really inspired me to kind of take an interest in nursing. Even though I went into politics my first couple of years at St. A's, she was that first spark of an interest for me because I really enjoyed that class. (laughs) So after I graduated from... Coyle and Cassidy, I went to St. Anselm College, where I majored in nursing. Throughout my childhood, the one thing that I did as a child, and what's really kind of set the course for me in my career, is I was a black belt in karate and competed 
um, all over the country. That really creates a yeah. mindset for it does. you, doesn't it? There's a lot of self-discipline involved. Yes. And of course, the physical rigor and the training, yes. but it's a mindset thing. It is. Perseverance. Yes. Stamina. Self-reliance. Yes. Self-reliance respect. is huge. Yes. In competition, you have to stand and perform in front of people, sometimes hundreds of people. So that really gave me the skill to be able to talk in front of people and to not be afraid of talking to people. Who was your role model when you were growing up? I have a few, actually. My grandmother, woman of God, my biggest fan, one of the most important people of my life. What was it about her? And you know, it's interesting, Erica, because you know, I'm, I'm crying, you're crying, because <laughs> there are people who, well, they make us who we are. What was her message to you? when you were growing up? She loved God and she wanted to always instill that in her grandchildren. Her motto was forever rely on God. When I was in Afghanistan, she wrote me a letter every single day that I was there. Every time one of my coworkers or military members went to the post office to get all of our mail, there was always a letter from her and it was always decorated in stickers and frogs. And that was her telling me to forever rely on God. And that's what I have done. She pinned captain on me. That was a huge honor. My grandfather was a World War II pilot. His brother was shot down in World War II. He was also a pilot. And he flew some incredible missions. He was a captain in the U.S. Army Air Force. And she was home and she waited for him. And her resiliency and her bravery. She was just a remarkable woman. And I will never be half the woman that she is. You said she pinned your captain on she you? She did. Tell me about that day. Very special. I was already home from Afghanistan and we had a huge ceremony in Stoughton and she came and my husband, who is a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, moderated the whole thing. So I stood up there and she pinned my bars on me. Greatest honor ever. Honestly, one of the most pivotal moments of my life. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this husband of yours. Did you meet him in the military? There's the smile right there. I did. He was a resident. He's a trauma surgeon in the Air Force critical care physician. And he was working. I was working an overnight shift. And we were taking care of one of his really, really sick patients. And he was a surgical resident at that point. He had to operate somebody in the ICU because they were too unstable to take back to the operating room. And I helped him with it. And we just kind of grew a bond over that whole experience over somebody's open abdomen. <laughs> <laughs> Someday you can tell your children, well, let me tell you, your dad and I met over somebody's open abdomen and it was love at first sight. Yes. You have two children now. Tell yes. me a little bit about them. I have three children. Oh my goodness. Well, all right then. So I have a six-year-old little boy, Brayden. Um, super fun, smart, happy, loves people, loves life, loves Christmas, just like my grandmother. My grandmother would love him. And then my daughter, Charlotte, who is a three-year-old spirited little girl who is just spitfire and just a beautiful, looks like Shirley Temple, just a really cute little little girl, keeps me on my toes. And then I just had a baby um, five months ago, and his name is Dylan, and he's just very sweet. How long did you work here at MedFlight while you were pregnant with him? I worked up until 37 weeks. And I was huge and I couldn't even sit in the aft facing seat in the helicopter squarely. I had to sit to the side because my belly was so big. How did motherhood change you, Erica? 
I think it's changed the way I care for patients, even though I've always been a very compassionate person and just very, I just want to help people. And I take the extra time, especially with children, to make sure that the mothers that are with their sick children are comforted, um, to make sure the children are well taken care of, to provide that motherly love towards them. Um, that I've learned through taking care of my own kids, just really getting on their level. You know, the hours aren't easy. We're sitting here in your crew room at MedFlight in Mansfield. You worked on Thanksgiving. I saw that on your Facebook page. (laughs) How are you balancing three children and this big job as an RN nurse for MedFlight? I get that question a lot um, because my husband also doesn't work in the state. He works in California, so he travels back and forth. Um, (laughs) My mouth is hanging wide open in case you guys are wondering why I'm not following up with that question. It's a busy house for you. It is. You know, if it wasn't for my parents, there's no way that I could do this. No way. There's no feasible way that I could live the life that I live without my mother and my father. They are my biggest support systems right now. It does take a village to raise a child. It truly does. I have the most supportive family and I have an incredible babysitter, Danielle, who will be at my house, drop of a hat, no questions asked if I need to go to work. Same with my mom, my dad. I've become quite good at multitasking. Let's talk a little (laughs) bit about what this job is like on a daily basis. How long is your shift? And on a typical day, what can you expect? Every day is different. You don't know what you're going to get. Some days, we could be here all day, very rare, and not do anything. Other days, one to two calls, you don't know what you're going to get. And there are some days where you do three to four calls, sometimes five, rare, but five. And, and by the fifth call, you're just ready to tap out. 12-hour shifts, more often than not, we go overtime because each call takes about, depending on what it is, two to three hours. Sometimes calls can take eight hours. You just never know. We have staggered shifts. So none of the bases start at the exact same time. So we always have a crew in service, which is huge. We do all kinds of calls, scene calls, bad motorcycle accidents, bad car accidents. We do balloon pumps and pellas. We assist with ECMO patients. And very sick babies, you mentioned. Very sick babies, um, very premature babies. We'll take them from smaller community hospitals to places like Mass General, Brigham, BI, for higher level of care that the community hospitals are not equipped for. We do full-term infants that have meconium aspiration, that, you know, babies that need breathing tubes. We also do very sick heart patients. We do very sick critical care transfers. What don't we do? We do everything. (laughs) How many people are on board for a typical flight? So there's a nurse, a medic, and a pilot. That's it. It's great to know that we can help somebody on their worst day. Every call that we take is a challenge. I am grateful for the partners that I have. They are very strong. I am still learning. We are all still learning. I learn something from every call and I learn something from every partner that I work with. It must also be very humbling. It's very humbling. It's very humbling. It's not one of those jobs where you can come in here and be like, I know it all. Move out of the way. You have to keep learning at this job. It's not a stagnant job. Medicine is changing every day. Do you know how to fly that helicopter that you just showed me? Oh, God, no. (laughs) We have very capable pilots. (laughs) Tell me what happens, though, if something goes wrong. We are able to program GPS to get to landing zones that we need to be at. There's always a pilot that is available at whatever base, on the phone, wherever, and they can 
give us the instructions on how to land the helicopter. We can shut the engines down. We know the, the, the basic emergency procedures that we need to know. Last few questions that I ask, sure. Erica, and thank you so much for your time mm-hmm. today. I ask everyone who sits where you are, when an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I just keep pushing forward. I do what it takes to keep pushing forward, whether it be learning more, reading more, doing more classes, talking to more people, especially my colleagues who are absolute, just the best at what they do. And in life in general, just being persistent, not taking no for an answer. And that's how I've lived my life. I think from a very young age, if I see something I want, I just go for it. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And can you pass that along to people who are listening to us all around the world? So I've received a lot of advice over the years from very important people in my life, such as my grandmother and my actually my karate coach, Joseph Greenhall, and my parents. You know, my dad always used to say a boat was never meant to stay in the harbor. You have to get out there and you have to explore and you have to grow and you have to experience the waves to get to the other side. The storms are what makes you a stronger person. But there's a quote from Robin Arzan, who is a Peloton instructor, and she quotes, excuses that we tell ourselves are just lies of mediocrity. Mediocrity should never be on the menu. And that's kind of how I live my life. You just got to keep pushing forward. And when times get tough, don't give up. If I were to just say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm not going to keep pushing. I'm comfortable. Get out of your comfort zone. You have one life and you just got to keep going for it. Over the years, I've interviewed 700 women and I gave you my 16 life lessons, which you are looking at right now on that piece of paper. Is there one from one of those wise women that fills you up or makes you feel like, yep, that's so true? They all resonate with me. Number two, baby steps are better than no steps at all because it is baby steps. You don't wake up one day and expect to have everything on your lap waiting for you. You have to work for it. When I got out of the military and joined the civilian side and and doing that, and then I moved home, and then just to get a job at MedFlight was a feat in itself. The waiting, the uncertainty, the anxiety that went along with that. It's my dream job. I didn't know if I was going to get it. You know, I've been here for a couple years now, and I'm still learning, still growing, baby steps. Better than no steps at all. Better than no steps at all. What does success mean to you, Erica? Now is being a good mother, raising my children to be good human beings. That's success to me. If I can raise good human beings that are respectful, inclusive, and God-fearing, then I've made it. Boston MedFlight RN and United States Air Force veteran Erica Horan, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today on the story behind her success. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you know someone that I should interview, reach out anytime. Tell me about her. Candy at CandyOterry.com. And thank you so much for listening to the story behind her success. What's your story? <laughs>